Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 12 this morning. The book of Mark and chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. We would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Mark chapter 12 this morning, Mark chapter 12. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 12. And I want you to look down with me at verse number 29 and verse number 30, verse 31 this morning. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to verse 31. Look at verse 29. And Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. Love God and love others. No greater commandment than this. Why is that the case? Well, we've already pointed out, we did so last week as we began in this section of the book of Mark. We recognize that the origin, the beginning of the Christian life is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Christian life begins when you understand the love of God. But the Christian life continues as you recognize that God loved you and you love God in return. We love him Because he first loved us. We do not love God in order to get God to love us. We love God because God has loved us through his son, Jesus Christ. We're simply responding to that love. So Jesus' answer, love God and love others. Helps us understand that love for God and the love of God to others is the highest spiritual virtue that we can have. So we're answering this question then. How can we love others? So last week we saw we are to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. With every fiber of our being, we are to love God. Now, how are we to love others? Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Bible compares 
the Christian life to a tree. And as a tree, we are to bear fruit, the Bible says. So the Christian life is like a tree, which is to bear fruit, which teaches us that the most important part of the Christian life is unseen. The most important part of a tree is its root system. The stronger the roots, the stronger the root system, the stronger the tree, and the more fruit the tree will produce. The tree is sustained by the roots that it has. Now, when you look at a tree, you don't immediately go, wow, what a nice fruitful tree. I'd love to see the root system on that thing. You've never said that about a tree. You've looked at a nice fruitful tree and you've said, wow, what a great tree. Look at all of its fruit. Look at the color of the leaves. It's beautiful. And so our eyes look at the leaves, but the most important part of the tree is not what our eyes see. The most important part of that tree is what is beneath the ground, the root system that it has. The Christian life is like a tree. The Christian life is like a tree in that we go through seasons of our lives. Seasons of planting, seasons of pruning, seasons of producing. We experience seasons as a tree. As a Christian, we go through seasons. We have seasons where we feel the warmth of God's love. We feel the brightness of the light around us. We have seasons where we face winds and storms and droughts. We go through seasons as a tree. But as a tree, no matter what season you find yourself in, planting, pruning, producing, the most important part of the tree is the root system. So if you're in a season of drought, if you're facing some strong winds, if you're in a season where you're feeling the warmth of God's love and the brightness of God's light, the most important part of the tree is its root system. And the most important part of the Christian life is what you don't see. It's what's underneath. It's what's in the heart. Out of the heart of the man, that is what the man, that is what defiles the man. We already studied that in the study of Mark. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Solomon tells Rehoboam, look after thine heart because out of it are all the issues, all the categories, all the things in your life. They, they flow out of your heart. So no matter what season you're in, you're, you're given as a Christian two root systems. The first one is the scripture. The second one is the spirit of God. Psalm chapter number one. But he, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in its season 
whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So David is saying that as we study God's word, as we take God's word and get it in our heart, it becomes this root system for us that gives us the nourishment we need as we go through our lives. My question for you this morning is, do you study God's word that way? Do you read God's word that way? Are you hiding God's word in your heart in that way? Some, some of us are doing really poorly at reading God's word. So for you today, maybe the decision you need to make is, you know what? I'm going to spend time working on the root system of my life. I'm going to spend time every day in God's word. I challenge you to do that. Spend five minutes every day in the word of God. Before you do anything else, spend five minutes in, in God's word every day. Now, some, some can do much more than that. You can spend 15, 20, 30 minutes in God's word, and you ought to. But some of us, this is where we are in our lives. I Man, we need to make the commitment to spend five minutes every day in God's word. We need to make sure that the root system is going down and getting the soil and the nutrients that it needs in order for us to be able to grow up strong. But it isn't just the scripture that God gives us. The, another root system is the spirit of God. That when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you confessed your sin to him, when you turned from your sin and your self-righteousness, when you believed wholly on Jesus, the Bible says the Spirit of God took up residence in your heart. And God moved in. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. So how do we not just know of the love of God, but how do we ensure that we are showing the love of God to those that are around us and fulfilling that second commandment, namely this, love thy neighbor as thyself, verse 31. So how do we do that? Three things this morning. Number one, you gotta, you got to outline, jot some, jot some thoughts down because I want you to remember them throughout the week. Notice first, the evidence of love. Love for God produces the love of God in us. That when we love God the way that we should, we will show the love of God to those who are around us. You cannot have the love of God. You cannot know the love of God in you and not be affected by it. The love of God conforms us, it transforms us, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, so that when we come to understand the love of God, it conforms us to the image of God, but it also transforms us. That's an external thing. It conforms us internally to the image of the Son of God, but it transforms us externally into the image of the Son of God. So that people look at our lives and they glorify our Father, which is in heaven. The evidence of God's love, the evidence of knowing the love of God within you, is that you are showing the love of God to those who are around you. The love of God is an evidence that you are in the family of God. As much as you may like it or as much as you may not like it, when you were born into this world, you took on distinct characteristics that your parents had. 
In fact, what drives me craziest about my children is that they remind me an awful lot of their mother. No, they remind me an awful lot of me. So I see them and oh, things that just drive me bonkers, get me upset, are when they are doing things that remind me of me. When you were born into this world physically, you took on the nature, the characteristics of your physical family. My father was about six foot tall, which is why I'm about 5'10". My father was of Irish descent, which is why I am of Irish descent. It's nothing I did in myself. It's nothing I willed of my own. It's nothing I worked up in my own strength. These are the characteristics given to me from the family that I was born into. Well, guess what? When you were born into a spiritual world, you took on the nature of your father. And Peter says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, that we, when we believed on Jesus, we were adopted into God's family and we were, listen, partakers of divine nature. That we became like our father. And God moved in. He took up residence in our heart. And what is the nature of God? God's nature is one of love. The Bible teaches us this. God is love. I'll turn that around. That verse does not say, love is God. That verse says, God is love. So, so you can't reverse the statement like some in our culture and our world try to do. Love does not define God. God defines love. Which means, all that God does is motivated... Out of love. God is love. So everything that God does in the world is motivated by his love for the world. Everything that God does in your life is motivated by his love for you. God is love. He's moved by love. And when he moves in our lives, he moves with love. Now, I, I, I understand there's there already some of you are thinking, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Because if God were so loving, then why would God send someone to hell? You ever heard that? Well, if God were so loving, then why would God send someone to hell? Well, I will tell you this, friend. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Man sends himself to hell. As a matter of fact, the only reason why a man would go to hell is because he has rejected the love of God. And what is the love of God? The love of God is the Son of God who died on the cross for sinful men, of which we all are because we all have sinned. You say, well, if God were so loving, then why do bad things happen? Well, the Bible is clear on this. The Bible is clear that the way things are in the world is not the way that God intended them to be. And the reason they are not the way that God intended them to be is because of sin, the Bible says. Sin entered the world and sin broke the world. The reason there are earthquakes 
and divorce and abuse and cancer and hatred and war is because of sin. That sin broke the world and sin has brought the world under a curse for which God will one day judge the world. But sin didn't just break the world. Sin also separated you and I from the love of God. When we sin, what we are saying is, I don't want your love, God. I don't want to know your love. I don't want to understand your love. I don't want to walk in your love. I don't want to be a part of your family. And instead, I want to make you an enemy and I want to live in rebellion to you. And if you die separated from God in your sin, having made God your enemy, having been separated from his family, the Bible says that you will be separated from God for all of eternity in hell, which is the second death. And here is the love of God. In that while we were sinners... While we were making God our enemy, while we were living in rebellion to God, God died for us. God actively pursued a relationship with you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is actively pursuing a relationship with you even right now. That if you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, you shall be saved. You'll be brought out of the world and you will be made into the family of God. Why? Because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So love is an evidence that we are in God's family. Beloved, secondly, is an evidence that you are in fellowship with God. So what he is saying in this text is, if you truly know the love of God, and you're loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the second follows right behind it. The second is like, he says. The second walks in the same steps, which is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So since love your neighbor is a command, then we can understand this. That loving our neighbor cannot be an excuse for sin. Love can never be an excuse for sin. Jesus isn't saying, oh well, if you love God, then love your neighbor and just get rid of all of the other commandments in the Bible. In other words, you cannot say it's okay to break God's commands as long as you're being loving. No, it's never loving to break God's commands. God's commands are given to us in order for us to understand the love of God. And apart from obedience to the word of God, then we cannot know the love of God and we cannot show the love of God. Apart from obedience to the word of God, we cannot know God's love and we cannot show God's love. Let me make this applicable to the world that we live in today. And oftentimes people try to excuse away whatever particular sexual relationship that they're trying to justify. 
by saying, well, it's okay because we love each other. And since this relationship is an expression of our love, well, then it can't be wrong because what's wrong with love? Well, listen, friend, if that love is in violation to the word of God, then that love is called sin. And if it is a sin, then it is not of God. Because God does not tempt any man to sin. It's never loving to lead someone else into sin. In fact, write this verse down. You can read it later. Romans chapter 13, verse number 8, verse number 9, verse number 10. Paul says, Oh, no man anything but love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this... Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh ill, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. So it is never loving towards someone else by pulling them into sin. Love is not God. God is love. So you cannot use, well, I'm just loving my neighbor as an expression to just live in any old way if that any old way is in defiance of the word of God. So it's an evidence of love. Second, there's an extension of love. There's an extension. God tells us in his word that our love is to be extended in four ways in particular. There's four people the Bible is telling you that you are to love in this world. So we're primarily to love God. We're in pursuit of love to God. God loved us, we love him. We love God back with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we are loving God the way that we should, then we will be loving others in our life. There are four people the Bible tells you you're to love. The Bible says you're to love your neighbor. The Bible tells you you're to love your brother. The Bible tells you you're to love your family. The Bible tells you you're to love your enemy. You're to love your neighbor. You're to love your brother, which is fellow Christians. You're to love your family. That's the family you were born into. And you're to love your enemy. Here's what he says in the text. Thou shalt love thy neighbor, he says here. So the question becomes, who's our neighbor? Or did you know they asked Jesus this question while Jesus was having ministry on earth? He said, well, if we're supposed to love our neighbor, well, then who's my neighbor? How many houses down do I have to go until that person isn't my neighbor? Because I don't really like the guy two blocks over. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. And Jesus begins to tell a parable. You've heard the parable before. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man was traveling. He fell among thieves. He was beaten up. He was stripped of his clothes. He was wounded. They took all of his possessions and they left him to die. 
And then a priest walked by, a, a Jewish leader in religion. He walked by him, he ignored him, walked on the other side of the street. A Levite walked by, another religious individual. He saw the man, he, he crossed the street, he, he ignored him. Then a Samaritan stopped by. The Samaritan didn't ignore him, the Samaritan went to him. The Samaritan picked him up, bandaged him up, set him on his donkey, rode him to the inn, paid for his keeping. And Jesus asked the question to the man, which of these was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And the answer comes back to Jesus. It's the Samaritan. And Jesus says, go and do thou likewise. Love your neighbor. Jesus is teaching us that showing the love of God to people around us. That we are to show God's love to people who do not look like we look. Who do not talk like we talk. Who do not live like we live. It's more than showing love to people who are the same as you. It's more than showing love to people who have the same religious persuasion that you may have. No, no, no. We're to show God's love to people no matter what they may look like, sound like, talk like. We're to show the love of God to them. We are to display the love of God to them. The Bible says in the text, love your neighbor as yourself. Which means... As energetic as you are about pursuing your own happiness. You ever met somebody who's about to go on vacation? You know if somebody's about to go on vacation, like it's the last day, they don't have to come to the office for another two weeks, they're about to go on vacation, you know how they never look? They never look like this. <sighs> you know how they always look? I'm going on vacation, man. I'm out of here. Look, well, we got some stuff we got to talk about. I don't care. You deal with it tomorrow when I'm not here. They're so happy to get out of town. Why? Because they're just taking care of themselves, getting some me time. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put as much energy into loving someone else as you would put into Loving yourself. Get as joyful in loving someone else as you are in loving yourself. Be as pursuant, as creative, as energetic in loving that person as you are in loving yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus is saying, sanctify your selfishness because no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Now, we always make sure we take care of ourselves. So we should love others in the same way in which we are loving ourselves. Oswald Chambers said, if my heart is right with God, then every person I meet is my neighbor. If my heart is right with God, then every person I meet is my neighbor. Love your neighbor, the Bible says, 
Second, the Bible says, love your brother. Galatians chapter 6. Jesus says in John chapter 13, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples and that you love God and that you love others. So God's design for you and for me extends beyond our biological relatives. God's design for you and me extends into the body of believers, the church, what in the Bible is called the family of God. The world always tries to define us by ethnicity or age or status in life or outward appearance or gender. The, the, the world tries to divide us into one factor or the other. God says this is not the way it happens inside of God's family. Galatians chapter 3, for there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are to treat each other as if there were no categories dividing us. That's what he's saying. You don't treat some people better than others because they may be able to help you more. No, that's the way the world works. That's not the way the church works. You aren't to give preference to those who might be more influential for you. No, 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 that's the way the world works. That's not the way the church works. No, the way the church works is no matter if you are slave or free, no matter if you are Jew or Gentile, no matter if you are from the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks, no matter if you are filthy rich or if you are dirt poor, no matter, we are one in Christ, he says. There's no difference. You, you, you may not feel like you belong anywhere because of all of the categories that the world tries to assimilate us into. You may feel as if there is no place for you, but this is what God is helping us understand. At the church, there's always a place. You belong here. Do you love people in the church this way? Is your service in the church characterized in this way? This is, this is the proper understanding of love, is it not? Service. So if you're usher, you usher with the heart of love. If you're a parking lot attendant, you're a parking lot attendant with a heart of love. If you're a nursery worker, you're a nursery worker with a heart of love. If you're a teacher or a deacon or a pastor, you teach or you deacon or you pastor with a heart of love. If you're a choir member, you're a choir member with a heart of love. Did you sing this morning with a heart of love? Did you serve this morning with a heart of love? Did you usher this morning with a heart of love? But, but let's, take the, let's take the same coin, the opposite side. When you came into church this morning, did you... Did you come with a heart of love? Or did you hear the choir saying, well, that's, that's not my favorite song. I don't like that song. Did you see that usher? And you go, I'm not going through his door. I don't like him. I'm going to the other door. 
Did you gripe about the nursery worker? Did you gripe about the teacher? Did you complain about the person? See, it's supposed to be done with the heart of love. Well, love your brother, love your neighbor. Third, love your family. Which means love your parents, love your wife, love your husband, love your kids. Your family needs to understand that you have an unconditional love for them. And tell my kids, the church house or the courthouse, your mom and I love you unconditionally. And don't get me wrong, I hope it's the church house. But I know my kids, it's oftentimes the courthouse. But they're my kids and I love them. It doesn't mean that I approve of everything that they have done. What it means is that we love them in spite of what they have done. The way that God loves you. And sometimes in this world we get so busy. Remember a few summers ago being outside in the summer night looking out at the lights in the city. Remember seeing all the houses with the lights on, seeing the downtown area, all the lights on, so bright. Remember looking up into the sky, seeing the stars, the moon, all these lights, all of these different lights that are competing for our attention, some of them flashing, some of them blazing. Then all of a sudden, all of these big lights in the world, they were completely eclipsed by a brand new light that captured my attention. Right into the backyard came this little lightning bug. And it was right in front of me. And that little lightning bug right in front of my face eclipsed all the other lights throughout the entire night sky. It's all I could see was the one right there in front of me. Reminded me that although there are all kinds of lights that compete for our attention, when it comes to our family, we may not be the biggest light, we may not be the brightest light, we may not be the flashiest light, but we can be the closest light. Sometimes it's not about being biggest or brightest, sometimes it's just about being closest. You make quality time for your family. Make quantity time for your family. Give them a solid foundation of faith. Of course, your kids will not be perfect. Do you know why? Because they're mother. No. Do you know? Do you know why? Because you're not perfect. Imperfect parents don't make perfect kids. It's not the way it goes. But we have a perfect heavenly father who in spite of all of our failures, in spite of all of our deficiencies, in spite of all of our mistakes, he loves us through it all. I love your neighbor, love your brother. Love your family. Love your enemies. How do you respond when people treat you unfairly? How do you respond when people talk bad about you? 
How do you respond when, when people are wrongly or unjustly accusing you? Amanda and I were out with some friends the other night and husband and wife started talking and the husband says, honey, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I've, I've gotten angry at you so many times throughout the years and so so amazing to me because every time I get angry and blow up and you stay so calm. I, I don't know how you're able to stay so calm when I'm so upset. She responds, well, it's very easy. He goes, what do you mean? It's easy. She says, well, whenever you get angry at me, you blow up. I just go and I clean the bathroom, scrub the toilet. He goes, really? That helps? He goes, of course it does because I use your toothbrush to do it. That's not loving your neighbor. <laughs> the Bible tells us to forgive those who wrong us. The Bible tells us to live peaceably with all men if it's possible. The Bible tells us to turn the other cheek. The Bible says to bless those that curse you. The Bible says if there's anything in you that can do good for someone else, if you have the opportunity to do good, then you ought to do good. I want to clarify something on the love your enemies point. Sometimes these verses get used wrongly. When the Bible says love your enemies, the Bible does not say that you are to allow someone to be abusive toward you and you have to just take it. That is not what the Bible is saying. The Bible does not say that you have to allow someone to take advantage of you, to exploit you, to treat you criminally. People use these verses wrong. Well, aren't you a Christian? Didn't you go to church? You're supposed to forgive me, remember? No, that's not how that works. Remember, you're supposed to turn the other cheek, remember? You're supposed to allow me to do to you whatever I want, remember? No, 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 no. People use verses like that, they use them wrongly. How many of you know sometimes people use the Bible wrongly? It's not God's intention for you to be in an abusive relationship where you are unsafe. If you are in a situation like that, you need to get out of that situation. I don't pretend to know the ins and outs, the nuances of every one of those, but I will tell you this, this church is full of spiritual men who would love to help you navigate that situation. And pastors and deacons and teachers who would help to come alongside of you, to help you to know how to make sure that you are safe Sometimes enemies can be so dangerous that if you have anything to do with them, you are inviting them to sin. And if that is the case, then it is not good. What is good is for you to stay away from them. That is what is good. But if that is not the case you're in, then the general rule is simply this from the Bible. When someone persecutes you, bless them. When someone talks bad about you, talk good about them. When someone airs your dirty laundry, you don't air theirs back. 
Instead of words of cursing, speak words of blessing. Instead of responding with hostility and anger, respond with kindness. Here's what he says. If it is possible, live at peace with all men. Sometimes it's not possible. Love your neighbor, love your brother, love your family, love your enemies. This is the essence of love. That's the third point. You say, why why should I love all of these individuals? Here's why. Because God loved you. I remember my senior year of high school, I was invited to work as a camp counselor at a Christian camp. Part of the responsibility of being a camp counselor was that you were to be a lifeguard. I took these lifeguard courses, trained in CPR. Remember during the courses, the lifeguard instructor said sometimes when someone is drowning, they're in panic, they're in desperation. So as a lifeguard, you jump into the water and you swim toward them, but their panic and desperation has set in that they can't recognize that you're actually there to help them. And so as you approach them, they may be in such a panic and shock that they're going to grab you and push you under. And what's worse than one person going under is two people going under. So it's important to know that sometimes the best thing you can do as a lifeguard when someone is in panic is to not swim directly to them and grab them, but allow them to go under. Perhaps pass out and lose their breath and then swim in to rescue them. Not, not, not for you to watch somebody do that and then swim under and go, see, that's what you get for pushing me away. No, no, no. Now I'm just going to leave you in the bottom of the pool. No. No. Allow them in their panic to understand the desperation of the situation so that you can save them. That's the way God loved you. I was gone under the water of my own sin. I was drowning. I was panicking. I had no hope. I had no strength. I had no help. I was stuck. Christ, our rescuer, Our Savior, he swam in and he lifted us up and he set our feet on a solid rock and he saved me from being lost in the sea of eternal judgment forever. That is what God did for you. That is what we should do for others. Love God. Love your neighbor. 